Blog Talk Radio. Mama 
Mamba Mubiai, Mulubawaki Tanda. Wawaka Yembe, Wena Menshi. And welcome back uh, to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine that's brought to you here on a weekly basis. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Today is Saturday, October 16th, uh, 2021. We are broadcasting live uh, from our studios in uh, downtown Detroit. We would like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, to another edition of our program. Later on, uh, we'll be coming up uh, with our regular Pan-African Newswire report. We'll have dispatches on the outbreak of new demonstrations in the Republic of Sudan, demanding the resignation of the interim transitional sovereign council. The Central African Republic government has offered a ceasefire to the rebel groups fighting over the last several years inside the country. In Burkina Faso, the Pan-African Film Festival opened uh, this weekend in that West African state. And uh, former Ivorian uh, President uh, Laurent Gbagbo has announced the creation of a new political party inside this country. In the second hour, we commemorate the 55th anniversary of the founding of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense in uh, Oakland, California. Uh, We'll have uh, some 
where archival um, audio files on the history and contributions of the Black Panther Party for self-defense. Finally, we examined some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day in Africa and uh, throughout the world. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. So stay tuned, and uh, of course, we'll be back uh, with more of our program for this week.
bailando Siempre
Welcome back. You're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, worldwide uh, radio broadcast uh, for Saturday, October 16, 2021. <clears throat> We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We just heard the music of uh, Orchestra Baobab uh, from the West African state of Senegal. And uh, right now we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment. And our lead story uh, deals uh, with the current situation in the Republic of Sudan. Thousands of Sudanese uh, took to the streets uh, earlier today in the capital of Khartoum to call for the dissolving of the joint military-civilian government of Prime Minister Abdallah Hamdak. The protests could uh, further increase political tensions in Sudan, threatening its fragile transition to democracy more than two years after the military overthrow uh, the uh, former president, Omar al-Bashir, amid a public uprising against uh, the economic conditions inside the country. The demonstrations were organized uh, by political parties and rebel groups that were part of the forces for the declaration of freedom and change. An umbrella group that led the uprising against al-Bashir. The country is now ruled by a joint military-civilian transitional government, but tensions between the civilians and the generals have increased following a recently foiled coup attempt. Activists uh, insist the generals hand over power uh, to civilians. The state-run Sunan News Agency said the demonstrators were bussed in from the outskirts of Khartoum and elsewhere in the country to the gathering outside the presidential palace in the Sudanese capital. The protesters uh, demanded echoes those of General Abdel Fattah Burhan, head of the ruling sovereign council uh, who said earlier this month that dissolving the government could resolve the ongoing political crisis. Meanwhile, anti-government protesters in the country's east have blocked the main Red Sea port there for more than two weeks, as well as fuel pipelines and major roads. The protests in Port Sudan are led by a, another uh, tendency representing uh, six ethnic groups uh, from northeastern Sudan. Hamdok's office warned earlier this month that Sudan has been running out of essential goods, including medicines, fuel, and wheat, due uh, to uh, the Port Sudan blockade. Shortages of imported goods have caused bread queues to reappear in the capital of Khartoum in recent days. Hamdok on yesterday described the ongoing political tensions as, quote, the worst and most dangerous crisis, unquote, threatening Sudan's transition and call for negotiations to resolve the disputes. In other news on the African continent, President Faustine uh, Chans Twadera uh, declared a unilateral ceasefire yesterday with the armed uh, rebel groups that have threatened to overthrow him once already this year in the Central African Republic, though it was not known whether uh, the rebels would have uh, the uh, uh, compunction uh, to uh, hold their fire. Uh, the surprise move by uh, President Twadera um, came uh, without any immediate reaction from the rebel spokesman, and it was not known why Twadera uh, had uh, decided to make such a conciliatory gesture after long opposing dialogue uh, with the rebel groups. He said that peace is priceless and there is no true peace except that which comes from a frank dialogue between the sons and daughters of a country torn apart by endless crises such as ours. Tordara said this in a speech uh, carried on the national radio. 
He also said we must give peace a chance, regardless of the atrocities and injustices suffered, the suffering and bruises endured. Uh, the president urged the rebel leaders to finally respect their word and give peace, security, and living together a chance as a guarantee for the socioeconomic development of our country. Though military operations were to end as of midnight uh, last night, uh, Twadera uh, clarified that security forces could still act in self-defense and could also maintain public order without violating the ceasefire. The United Nations peacekeeping mission known as MINUSCA uh, will continue its operation unaffected. He said in January, the rebels tried to seize the capital but were repelled by security forces after intense fighting on the city's outskirts. The middle rich country uh, has faced deadly intercommunal fighting since 2013, when the predominantly Muslim Seleka rebels seized power and forced Bozizi from office. Mostly Christian and anti-Balaka militias later fought back, also targeting civilians in the streets. Untold thousands were killed, and most of the capital's Muslims fled the capital in fear of their lives. The country saw a period of relative peace in late 2015 and 2016, but violence then intensified once again. A peace deal between the government and 14 rebel groups aimed at ending years of fighting was signed in February of 2019. However, violence blamed on the CR's former president, Bozizi, and his allies has thrown the agreement into doubt. Clashes erupted after the Constitutional Court rejected Bozizi's candidacy to run uh, for the president in December. You're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. In other news, in Burkina Faso, in the capital of Ouagadougou, Africa's largest film festival uh, started today uh, in Burkina Faso amid both the COVID-19 pandemic and a growing jihadi insurgency in the West African nation that has killed thousands of people and displaced uh, more uh, than one million in recent years. Alex Musa Sawadogo, uh, head of the Pan-African Film and TV Festival of Ouagadougou, said organizers uh, wanted to go ahead with the event known by its French anacronym, FESPACO, in spite of the challenges to show Burkina Faso can still, quote, inspire imagination through cinema, unquote. He went on to say that, quote, this will be a paco of resistance because it is taking place under harsh security and health conditions. Uh, he told this to the international press in an interview uh, in the capital of Ouagadougou. Sawadogo said the number of venues has been reduced uh, this year. The week-long festival showcased works by African filmmakers and works produced on the African continent. Out of nearly 1,200 films submitted, 282 have been selected to compete, some of which have already been shown at places like the Cannes and the Toronto Film Festival. Participants say they hope Fespaco will be a breath of fresh air for a suffering nation. Rubaka Giallo, a film director and two-time Fespaco winner, will debut his comedy, The Three Laskers, about three friends going on a trip with their mistresses. In these very difficult times for Burkina Faso and all the countries of the Sahel, because of the terrorist attacks, pleasure of offering a beautiful comedy to make people smile 
to entertain the public and ask questions about our current identity, to show our identity to others enjoy, and enjoy theirs, Giallo uh, said. Burkina Faso was once regarded as a beacon of peaceful coexistence in the region, with some attribute to its rich cultural scene. Culture builds the ground uh, for development. It is crucial for living together in peace, uh, said Alexander Widmer, head of the governance at the Swiss Agency for Development and Cooperation in Burkina Faso, which co-funds uh, the film festival. Some people think the event could be an opportunity to unite an increasingly fractured nation and remind the world that it still opens the business. It's now that Fespaco is even more important for the country, said Kudbi Kabori, a historian and researcher at the Joseph Kai Zerbo University in Ouagadougou. It showcases African cinema, and holding it will undoubtedly return Burkina Faso's image of being a good destination for business and investment. And finally, our former Ivorian President Laurent Gbagbo launched a new political party earlier today, formally breaking ties with those who ran his former party while he spent years facing war crime charges at the International Criminal Court. Bagbo, who is now 76 years old, who returned home in June after his acquittal was upheld, announced a few months later that he would be setting up a new party in order to avoid legal battles with his former ally, Pascal Afi Nguyen. Bagbo was extradited to The Hague in 2011, and his Ivorian Popular Front Party splintered three years later, with one faction led by Nguyen, while former First Lady Simone Bagbo played a prominent role in the other. Organizers say uh, that the proposed name of Bagbo's new party is the African People's Party, Ivory Coast, shortened to its French anacronym PPACI. On Saturday, Bagbo greeted a crowd of more than 1,600 delegates in Abidjan, many holding small flags bearing his image. The ex-president is expected to address his supporters tomorrow. The creation of Bagbo's political new party amid lingering questions about his future political aspirations. He served as president from 2000 until his uh, kidnapping uh, by French uh, paratroopers after he refused to concede a defeat to Alassane Ouattara. Uh, in the aftermath of the elections, it is reported that 3,000 people died in clashes uh, between the two political opponents. Ouattara ultimately prevailed uh, with the support of France and the United States and has been president of Cote d'Ivoire ever since then. Ouattara won a controversial third term late last year after the opposition claimed many of his candidates were disqualified, including Gbagbo. Earlier today, the executive director of the ruling party, Adama Bitko, uh, was among those in attendance at the party congress. For us, coming to witness the birth of a new party led by President Laurent Gbagbo reinforces the existing democratic vitality and it will help with the advancement of democracy. Notably absent, though, was the former first lady, Simone Gbagbo, who had traveled to Congo. Charles Blade Gwaiti, Gbagbo's former youth leader, who also was acquitted at the ICC, also uh, did not attend. Laurent Gbagbo spent eight years awaiting trial on the war crimes charges. A judge acquitted him in 2019, saying prosecutors failed to prove their case. And he was held for eight years pending uh, such an outcome. The verdict was appealed but upheld in late March. 
clearing the way for Gbagbo to leave Belgium, where he had spent the past two years. While some had feared his return could set off new unrest, Gbagbo was received by Ouattara himself and has mostly maintained a low profile. Some of Gbagbo's opponents, though, maintain he should have been jailed in Ivory Coast upon his return and not given a statesman's welcome. And with that, uh, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of our program. And we want to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed uh, to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998, and since then, it has published thousands upon thousands of articles and dispatches in various newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire uh, so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, all you need to do is go uh, to our website, and uh, that is at uh, panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's uh, panafricannews.blogspot.com. And if you would like to uh, have access uh, to this program, uh, the Pan-African Journal, worldwide radio broadcast uh, for today, Saturday, October 16th, uh, 2021, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network. And uh, that's at the following uh, URL, and that's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break, and we'll be back with more of our program for this week. Speak drum. Tell the real story. For the people who would condemn in slavery time their brothers and sisters for being ignorant. Listen to the story the drums tell. They say, you black man should love those brothers and sisters even in death. Because that valiant struggle for life made you what you are today. So keep on growing for them in mind, in body, and in soul. To the black sea No one seemed to care About his need Oh, black sea keep on growing Black sea keep on growing Without water, sea just couldn't last long Oh, smooth everyone And it grew up big and strong Yeah. 
Welcome back, and uh, you just listened to the main ingredient uh, with the song entitled Black Seeds Going Growing, and uh, this month represents the 55th anniversary of the founding of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense in Oakland, California, and uh, we're going to uh, reflect uh, through uh, rare archival audio files uh, on the history and legacy of the Black Panther Party. Uh, which had its origins uh, within the civil rights and black power movements uh, to emerge uh, during the 1960s. Uh, After the Selma to Montgomery March uh, in March of 1965, uh, Stokely Carmichael and other uh, activists of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee uh, set up uh, a project in Lowndes County, Alabama, uh, to both register voters and build an independent political organization. Out of that process in 1965 and early and mid-1966 emerged the Lowndes County Freedom Organization, which used the Black Panther as its symbol. Uh, These organizing activities gained national attention, and uh, similar uh, Black Panther organizations arose uh, in various uh, urban areas in the United States, and cities like Cleveland, Detroit, uh, Philadelphia, New York City, and then eventually on the West Coast, uh, in the Bay Area, in Oakland, and also in Southern California and Los Angeles. Influencing uh, these developments, of course, uh, were the contributions of France Fanon, uh, the Caribbean uh, Martinican-born uh, African uh, who uh, had fought uh, with the French uh, during World War II. He had uh, trained as a physician, a psychiatrist, and uh, went uh, to work uh, in what was then known as the French Overseas Territory of Algeria, which is in North Africa, had been under colonialism for 130 years. Uh, Fanon uh, joined uh, the FLN, the Front, the National Liberation Front, or the Front Liberation Nationale, and uh, became a writer, a columnist, and also a diplomat uh, for the FLN. Took a position in Accra, He was a delegate at the first All-African People's Conference uh, held in Accra in December of 1958. Uh, We're going to listen to a commentary by Mumia Abu-Jamal, a veteran member of the Black Panther Party, a journalist and also a political prisoner uh, for many, many years. This is a commentary uh, by Mumia Abu-Jamal on the legacy of France Fanon. France Fanon, revolutionary journalist. Those who have studied the global black revolution of the 20th century have had to read the masterwork of Frantz Fanon, The Wretched of the Earth, which was known as the handbook of the black revolution from Accra in Ghana to Oakland in California. This work, as much a psychological study as a diagnosis of the nature of French colonialism in Algeria, gave militants tremendous insights into the nature of imperialism and how resistance exploded against it. Former Black Panther leader Kathleen Neal Cleaver has written that Fanon's influence on black revolutionaries in the U.S. was profound. But before he published The Wretched of the Earth, he wrote a remarkable series of articles anonymously for the Algerian revolutionary journal El Mujahid, from September 1957 to January 1960. El Mujahid's attacks on the French political and military 
colonial officials, is unusually sharp and focused, reflecting Fanon's unique psychological and ideological insights into the Algerian and African struggles against imperialism. Al-Mujahid is an Arabic term meaning one who wages jihad or struggle, and here one sees Fanon in a potent war of words against the foreign occupation of Algeria. But Fanon was far more than a word warrior. In his 1964 work, Toward the African Revolution, we find Fanon, the critic, the political analyst, the Africanist, the internationalist, the Marxist, and the anti-imperialist. In his El Mujahid articles, Fanon anonymously gives voice to the FLN, French Front Liberation Nationale, English National Liberation Front, and ridicules French efforts to tie the FLN to rapes, killings, and massacres, condemns Arab and African collaborators, and dissects how French forces use torture to intimidate the Algerian resistance. Fanon writes, Torture in Algeria is not an accident or an error or a fault. Colonialism cannot be understood without the possibility of torturing, of violating, or of massacring. Fanon was a revolutionary journalist, or perhaps more clearly, a revolutionary who also worked as a journalist. His heart was with all anti-imperialist, revolutionary, and national liberation movements. His heart was with rebel friends like Nkrumah of Ghana and Lumumba of Congo. His heart was with what he called the wretched of the earth, the world's dispossessed from imprisoned nations. This is Mumia Abu Jamal. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio. Tell me that the sun belongs to you and should surround you. I see they've snatched the sun from all around you Why you hardly seem to want what's yours You hardly seem to care If you love the sun where you come from Then you had better dare to see the time The time is now, oh see the time And you know how Oh, 
Uh, what is this supposed to mean? They railroaded him through the court. Uh, they convicted him for a mass slaughter against the same type of fool pig who came by here last night and did the same thing. So how are we supposed to feel about this? This is another example of why we demand that Huey P. Newton be set free because we know the type of dogs that we're dealing with. We're dealing with racist Gestapo pigs on the Oakland Police Department who have been doing this type of thing all along. This is not the first time they've done this, and uh, it's not just shooting out windows. They go around and intimidate people, they murder people on the streets, and anyone wearing a uniform who would do this type of thing, do you think this is the first time he's ever done something like this? Do you know these two this officers? This behavior. I don't need to know them. I know that they're on the Oakland Police Department. The entire Oakland Police Department is out of order. Chief Gaines has suspended these men and uh, arrested them, but just watch and see what he does to them. See if they're sent to the penitentiary as they're trying to send Huey P. Newton. So I'm saying that this is proof positive. Everybody can see it for themselves. We have witnesses to it, not just members of the Black Panther Party, but we have citizens who were out here last night and they saw this. So this is just notification to the community that we have got to get together, get our black army together and drive these dogs out of our community. That's the only thing that's going to stop. Right on, right on, brother. And it's all later for the press. Because, you see, you come down here and you take these pictures, you take these damn statements, but what do you do about it? You try to make it sound like it might be confusion, or that we might be lying, but we're not lying about this. We didn't do it. The pigs on the Oakland Police Department did it, and we're not going to have it. We're not going to have it, and we're just going to have to defend ourselves against this. We're going to put a stop to this, because we're not going to take it no more. Right, brother. We're going to call upon the entire black community to mobilize itself and get ready to deal with these pigs, because it has to be done. That's right. We can't have no more of this. Right. Mr. Seale? Seale, could you tell us exactly what happened last night and your, when you first heard of it? I don't know exactly what happened last night. When did you first hear of it? This morning, on KDIA Radio. And what's your, what is your personal reaction to this? My personal reaction is just like I said, the racist dog policemen occupy, racist dog, pig policemen, open policemen occupy communities just like a foreign troop occupies territory. This here action, this uh, on the part of them to come up and shoot this office uh, is, is erroneous. And I'm saying, like I said before, that if there had been any brothers around here in the Black Panther Party, we just had to defend ourselves. We just had to shoot back at them pigs and drive them away from here. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the Oakland Police Department is wrong. We've circulated a petition to try to remove them and decentralize them. And uh, we're going to go forth to make sure that the police department is out of it, out of this community, that we don't have no more of this bull crap anymore. Why do you think this was done, Bobby? To intimidate, to harass, it's a continuation. There's a bullet hole right here. This bullet hole here was one of the previous bullet holes. This is not one of the bullet holes that was uh, put in here last night. There were two bullet holes shot in here. And the registered voter sign covers the other one here. For the last time they shot in our window. I can't find it now, but I guess they covered it up. There have been previous incidents like this? There's a previous incident. The first office we had at 56th and Grove, there were shots fired in that and quite a while ago. That was before we even went to uh, Sacramento, California. Uh, so uh, we see what's happening. And uh, like Brother Elders say, like the Panther Party say, we want all the brothers to get together. We want every black man in his, in his home to put a shotgun, a 38, and a pistol in his home. And if he catch any pigs anywhere attacking him or his people, to off that pig. Really?
committing illegal acts against anybody in the black community to off that pig with double O buckshot or 357 magnum or what have you. Because these pigs are only out to try to murder, kill, and brutalize black people, black people everywhere across the nation. You say that you think that this might have been a, an effort on the police department's part to precipitate something. Do you think it will precipitate anything? You know what it's going to do? It's going to do what the Black Panther Party, I hope, tells the black community. Arm yourself from door to door. Don't run in small group, don't run in large groups in the community, run in fours and fives, and be armed. And if any attacks come upon you, use the proper tactics. If any pigs commit any illegal act against you of brutality and murder, wipe that pig out. Does, does the Black Panther Party plan to take any legal action against the police department as a result of this? As Elders already stated, that uh, we have uh, a lawyer here who uh, has some information and he's been investigating. His name is Alex Hoffman and here he is right here. Uh, the problem right now is that we understand that Chief Gaines has uh, suspended two police officers. But you always run into a problem when an organization is, or is investigating itself. Obviously, we need to take a great deal more action than having the Oakland Police Department, which did it, uh, which has taken the bullets for its own ballistics tests, conduct its own investigation of itself. Uh, we need the United States Civil Rights Commission. We need court action on this. Uh, there were bullets that went straight through the back wall into the apartments of the people behind, uh, who luckily were not injured. Uh, uh, it shows the irrationality. Uh, it shows that Mayor Redding, who a few days ago said there would be a blow-up, no matter what the verdict was, knew what he was saying. He knew there was going to be a blow-up because the police was going to blow up. Uh, and if, do you live in the neighborhood? If they are so irrational that they shoot through a picture of uh, Huey Newton, then it, can there be any doubt that they'd shoot at him in person if they could? Have there been any threats of any sort uh, recently? They've been patrolling. Uh, there have been threats all over. They've been patrolling as heavily uh, this office in the homes of all the leaders of the Black Panther Party and of the Newton family for days and days and days. Uh, yet it's very interesting that last night it took them over an hour to get here after the shooting, and this morning there's hardly been a police car by. Gentleman here who says he's a witness. Yeah, we've been down at the community center, you know, and uh, since Saturday, spending the night down there. I guess they think there's something going on in there, and uh, all these damn trucks running all up in there is all pigs. So Saturday night at 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning, they've been patrolling down there at the center. Like down there, where this cat's supposed to be painting the next house, he's supposed to be, uh, he's watching the center, see. All of them is plotting. They want to start the shit, see. But uh, they, and plus, uh, Saturday night, they shot in the air. Down at the pigs, did we see them? They shot this one? No, I'm not talking oh. about here. We're talking about oh. down at the center. Oh, at the center? They shot in the air. But they want us to come out. I guess they want us to fire out, and then the shit would be on. You that? But we didn't. We kept it cool, you know. So I guess they drove off. And uh, it's about, I say, in that same night, since Saturday to Sunday, it was about at least 60 or 70 pigs been riding around there. You know? Yeah. Uh, Mr. Seal mentioned there'd been a previous uh, incident of shooting at uh, Black Panther headquarters. I don't see him around here now. Uh, I wanted to ask him about that. Do you know anything about that one? No. Uh, do you want to identify yourself? No. Okay. Thank you. I meant that my pop already identified <laughs> Yes, I don't. Here is the first of our eyewitnesses to the shooting last night. Uh, who are you, sir? Uh, my name is Cecil Johnson. You live in the neighborhood? No, I'm not in this immediate neighborhood. Yes. And uh, what what exactly happened as you saw it? Oh, well, uh, 
Where were you standing? No, I was driving down the street. And uh, I noticed this police car parked on the corner. But uh, it had a spotlight on and it was turned down. So this made me curious about this car. So I went a block down and made a U-turn and turned like a street. And uh, when I got into the intersection of 45th and Grove, uh, the police car was directly in front of the office. And uh, I seen uh, the officer open fire on, on the window. They opened the windows, and what no. did they have? Uh, shotguns, or was it uh, no, I couldn't see the type of automatic. I yes. couldn't see the type of weapon, but it was an automatic weapon. Yes. Uh-huh. And they just uh, shot at the picture of Mr. Newton here, and there was the center picture in this window here. Yes, well, it seemed as though they were taking something different out on here because uh, they looked like uh, they were trying to take target practice on them. Uh, how many uh, shots uh, did you count, <laughs> or was it too rapid to keep no, counting? I counted six. But that was on the first time. Yes. And then I had left to get assistance. And uh, on the second time, when they came by, they fired six more shots. So that was 12 shots all together. And they These perhaps had fired a few more between the two? Times you were there? Been. See, yes. now, they fired uh, twice. The one going down, and then they, they circled the block, and came back and fired again. And uh, it was awful strange because uh, just before the shooting, the police cars were following each other about 30 seconds apart. Yes. But when this shooting occurred, uh, it was about 10 minutes before any police car came around here or came down Grove Street. And uh, I told the police officer this was kind of strange since they had a pattern of following each other, you know, 30 seconds apart. But uh, after the shooting, which there was about 150 police in about a 20-block area here, knowing they heard the shots, nobody responded. I mean, uh, this seems to me like they knew what was going on. Uh, they knew what was going to happen, so uh, we'll just stay off that street for about 10 minutes and then drive by as though we uh, didn't know what happened, you know. They were the police in one car who did the shooting. There weren't two different cars involved. No, it was the same car. Same car, yeah. And there were two officers in the car? Two officers in the one car. One was driving and the other was shooting, was that Yes, it? and I, they were so bold about it, it was a regular police car. Were there any people around on the pavement that were endangered by this? Uh, well, I didn't see anybody on this side of the street. There was one brother across the street, directly across the street. Now, uh, at first, he wasn't going to give any evidence because I guess he, he was scared, you know. But uh, he finally uh, told him, you know, what happened. Then there were two other brothers down the street that were hid behind cars, and they uh, witnessed the whole thing again. See? So uh, we have uh, other than myself, three witnesses as to actually what happened. Which way were the cars going when they uh, opened fire? Where the car going when they opened fire? Going this way. Going south on Grove going Street. South. On both occasions, during the two shooting incidents, it was going south. No, once north. I see. The first time going south, the second time going north. Are you yourself a Black Panther or just a brother here? Brother. I see. Thank you very much. Oh, here's Mr. Charles Geary, Mr. Newton's uh, defense attorney. What is the state of the case at the moment? It's now going to appeal. Uh, could you explain the basis of the appeal, Mr. Geary? Oh, no, we're not ready to appeal. We're, uh, we've made a motion for new trial and an arrest judgment of the verdict of the jury. And, and we're going to argue the case Thursday morning at 9.15. The basis of our appeal is manifold. One of them is the fact that the grand jury that indicted Huey Newton was not a representative in the cross-section of the community, that it's uh, uh, picked by the superior court judges uh, on a personal basis of, of their own relationship with the persons, and it's not a random 
and a cross-section grand jury. We're going to attack the conviction and the trial based upon many, many bases. One of them being that the atmosphere was such that uh, Huey Newton or any position could not get a fair and impartial trial. We, we attacked the entire jury panel based upon the fact that it was composed of persons from the voters' registration list, uh, and not picked on a random basis, but on a wishy-washy, haphazard basis, admittedly by the uh, commissioner of jurors. We also attacked a jury system based upon the fact that from the voters' registration list, the uh, people from the black members from the Oakland ghetto are underrepresented in that that they do not register to vote. They've lost faith in our system. Only some 52% have uh, registered to vote, as 85% with the rest of the Alameda County. Then going into the evidence, the verdict of the jury is inconsistent, and it's not consistent with the uh, uh, evidence that is contradictory. Uh, here they... Uh, uh, the basic thing that we're going to hammer away at with the judge is the fact that some of the evidence uh, was not what it was supposed to be in that uh, Greer's statement taken an hour and 38 minutes after the event happened and one paragraph it says that he did see the face of the person involved whereas we found out later while the jury was out the word was not did but didn't the judge, the, judge, the judge corrected that by allowing the corrected statement to go to the jury, but this was some two days after they had asked to see that statement. And and we found out today from the... They didn't even notice the difference. They, the matter had not been called to their attention. We did not have an opportunity to argue this portion of it. The district attorney made quite a bit out of this, the, the fact that this man did see it. <laughs> And, uh, and tried to make out the fact that I was misrepresenting facts to the jury. Uh, this, along with many, many other aspects of this case, are grounds uh, for a new trial. And if the court uh, does not exercise its discretion as a 13 juror uh, to grant us a new trial, we're going to appeal the case to the highest court in the land. My clients use the terminology, the sky is the limit. Uh, Huey Newton says that when it says the sky is limit, we they intend to exercise all of their democratic rights, both politically and and judicially, and that's what they mean by sky is the limit. And we feel that confident in that uh, if the retrial, uh, Huey Newton will be uh, released and found innocent of all charges. And uh, this demonstration here today. Uh, in front of the Panthers headquarters in the little restaurant right next to it where the police have just riddled it. This is a common action on the part of the police when it comes to the black community. And this is the con kind of a conduct that has not been stopped by the power structure. The power structure has not seen fit to see that the police officers understand black history. They do not understand the black people. They are people who come out of racism. 
when you have some 60 to 70 percent of your white population as white races, it's uh, it's not accidental that out of some 600 police officers, only 20 are black police officers. Black police officers are not permitted to join the organizations that the white or organizations have, the white police organizations have. And the whole subject matter is thickening, and it's a matter that needs immediate changes and overhauling. The whole system is rotten from the very foundation. Uh, what uh, legal action uh, can you initiate uh, with regard to this shoot-up of the Black Panther headquarters? Uh, I'm going to let uh, ordinary law and order take care of it. Mr. Gaines is the chief of police, and until Huey Newton becomes the chief of police here, uh, we're going to let uh, Mr. Gaines take care of these little problems of his bad boys. Uh, Huey Newton today in his press conference offered... Uh, if the police department has, that has threatened to resign and quit, we heard rumors of that. That may not be true, but rumors have come through. Huey Newton offered to have the Black Panther Party uh, police the entire black uh, uh, neighborhoods and also afford police protection, Black Panther protection to the white community, including Piedmont and the, uh, the hills. And he said he would see that... Uh, the, the protection that the Black Panthers offer would, would be offered equally to both black and white. Now, for our Los Angeles listeners who may not have followed the case, uh, the, the Newton case, very closely, I'd better, I'd better mention that uh, Greer, the man you mentioned, was a prosecution witness, uh, a bus driver who was said to have witnessed the shooting. Uh, just so we get that clear for the Los Angeles listeners. Greer was uh, discredited and impeached on 16 major items in the course of the trial. His memory became sharper 10 months after the event than it did after the event. I have so much stored up inside of me in this case that it'll probably take me years to unwind. Mm -hmm. Didn't uh, Greer disappear mysteriously for a while after the incident? I don't know. Greer is the last thing in the world that I'm interested in. <laughs> Let's go down now to Alameda County Courthouse to talk to Huey P. Newton himself. Well, it's uh, about 10.45, September 10th, 1968, and I'm in the holding cell at Alameda County Courthouse with uh, Mr. Huey P. Newton, the leader of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, who uh, uh, two days ago was uh, found guilty of voluntary manslaughter and the death of one policeman. Uh, w what do you feel about this verdict, uh, Mr. Newton? First, I would like to say this. It's the uh, Black Panther Party. What did I say? Uh, Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. We changed our name uh, oh, some months ago now. Uh, the, the other thing is that... Um, um, my my first reaction to the verdict. No, no, I know something else on my mind. Wish you okay. You promised to send me your paper. You never did. Which paper was this? The paper. Yeah. You got? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. my, my first reaction to the uh, verdict was that it was a uh, uh, it was a racist uh, sellout, and that the jury didn't have the uh, guts to to decide the case on its evidentiary uh, merits. 
since then, um, certain mitigating uh, intervening variables have occurred, such as uh, I found, I have information that the jury did not view all of the evidence. They were not aware of the change in uh, the bus driver Greer's testimony that, uh, and the, I quote, I uh, did see him clearly and it was changed to I did not or I didn't see him clearly. Uh, the jury was not aware of this change and this is a very crucial uh, uh, part of the case. Um, I think that in spite of all of that, the uh, verdict was a compromised verdict. Uh, I believe that some racists on the jury wanted a, uh, a conviction of first-degree murder, and uh, some fair-minded people on the jury who wanted justice uh, wanted me to be acquitted. Uh, because uh, this is strictly speculation now, that uh, the foreman uh, seemed to be a very strong personality, uh, Mr. Harper, uh, I think that he engineered the compromise. I think he did it in good faith uh, based upon, he based his decision upon the fact that this is a racist society and uh, in the event of a hung jury that I might uh, uh, be convicted by a racist jury on the next trial of first degree murder. I think that he took this under consideration and uh, based upon his knowledge of the uh, law and the penal institution, which is probably not... Uh, uh, very extensive. Uh, he probably felt that, well, a manslaughter, he'll be out of jail in a year or, or so, and the trial would take that long. Uh, but I, in fact, this is not true, that a uh, manslaughter conviction carries uh, two to 15 years, and I'm sure that because of the political nature of the case, that I would do it every, every day of the 15 years. It's happened before. Um, in the Jerry Newsom case, matter of fact, in 1949, right in this county, where Jerry Newsom was uh, convicted of a count of uh, robbery murder, uh, where two people were executed in this uh, robbery, and uh, the second count was robbery. He was convicted on both counts. Uh, he finally got a new trial on the uh, on the murder robbery, and uh, he was acquitted. Uh, the uh, conviction on the second count of robbery held, and uh, robbery, armed robbery in the state of California is five to life. And uh, Jerry Newsom, I knew him personally. I know his family. Uh, he was 18 at the time. And um, uh, Jerry Newsom did 15 years in uh, the state penitentiary, where on a robbery you would do on a five to life uh, five years at the most. So. Uh, the uh, racist community were, were demanding that uh, Jerry Newsom be executed. Um, they still, uh, Coakley, who was a DA at the time, uh, wrote, uh, told, uh, made a press statement that as long as he was DA, Newsom would never get out of prison. And uh, he wrote letters every time Jerry Newsom would go up for uh, parole, and uh, he encouraged the white community to influence the adult authority not to let him out. So. Uh, I'm saying that uh, Mr. Harper uh, made a mistake and that I'm asking the black community to uh, forgive uh, Mr. Harper and the other people on the jury who were operating in good faith and who believe in my innocence. They should have, uh, they owed me the obligation to hang the jury up. <clears throat>
and, uh, and not to compromise. They owe me this obligation, they owed it to the black community, and they did not uh, fulfill this obligation that they, that they had. But in spite of all of this, they operated in good faith, so I'm asking the community to forgive Mr. Harper and the uh, rest of the fair-minded people on the jury uh, for they know not what they do. Um, I, I'm also asking the students at uh, Oakland City College uh, to show Mr. Harper that he teaches there next semester as he plans to. Uh, I respect him, and I, I don't believe that he's Uncle Tom or bootlicker. Uh, I believe he's a black uh, man, and uh, he deserves respect because he simply made a mistake. Now, if you do get a new trial, as the appeal is trying to obtain for you, uh, you then would again face the possibility that a new jury might find you guilty of murder. Isn't that the case? No. Well, um, that couldn't happen, I No. Uh, on, the, on the next trial, they can only convict me of manslaughter. Oh, I see. I, uh, I've been acquitted uh, on all other charges. So uh, this will be the only charge that I'm facing. Um, we feel that that uh, the, the judge uh, has an obligation in this case also. The judge is the 13th juror, and uh, we might not have to appeal if the judge gives us justice. He has the power to uh, set aside the uh, verdict and order a new trial. Now, one thing that has impressed the reporters who've been covering this case is your amazing calm and presence during this whole trial. Uh, this, I gather, is due to your confidence of an innocent verdict, but uh, does it also have something to do with your feeling that uh, this, it being a political case, that this sets the, you as, as part of the case uh, sort of above the, not the trivialities of law, but of a, of a criminal case, but it sets it above and beyond it? Uh, yes, as the saying goes, uh, like a tree uh, by the still waters, I shall not be moved. And uh, in spite of the uh, treachery of the establishment, uh, it cannot move the people. The people are an invincible force that will overcome, and that uh, I've been very uh, relaxed because I know that uh, we have the people behind us, we know that we have the people behind us, and that the, the people will uh, defeat the reactionary uh, establishment that is like a colossal giant uh, because they're divorced from the people. They look vicious, but uh, in the final analysis, uh, they're not vicious at all. What kind of... Uh, if you, have you been receiving mail from outside, some reaction from uh, sort of the broad public uh, beyond the uh, realm of the Panthers and your personal friends? Have you uh, been able to receive mail? Uh, yes, I've received mail. They hold up my mail, my newspapers. I haven't received a newspaper in four days. Uh, I'll probably get them today. Um, Sometimes, some letters I don't get at all. People have notified me through visiting that they sent letters and I didn't receive them. Um, but uh, all the letters that I received, not all, 99% uh, of the letters I received have been uh, very encouraging. I received letters from racists uh, threatening my life, and uh, I think this is uh, a very, uh, uh, it only reflects the nature of this institution that I'm housed at the present time. Uh, I always get those letters right on time. I receive telegrams, uh, favorable telegrams, uh, as much as two weeks later after the telegram is uh, mailed to me. Uh, but the telegrams threatening my life, I receive the same day, I believe the same minute that they're delivered here. And uh, the police, uh, I think, enjoy uh, giving me these type of telegrams. From how far afield do these uh, letters and telegrams come? <clears throat> I've got uh, uh, letters and uh, uh, 
telegrams from all over the country and uh, some uh, of some letters from abroad and uh, a couple of telegrams from abroad. Now you've heard, I suppose, the news this morning of the uh, the shooting by uh, allegedly by two policemen into the Black Panther headquarters. Uh, yes, it's a fact that the police did shoot into the office. Uh, three police have been uh, suspended temporarily. Two, I think. Two. Yes. yes, excuse me. Two policemen have been uh, suspended temporarily, and uh, uh, I expected or anticipated uh, the police to to uh, react in a violent fashion and disturb the peace as they usually do. Um, I don't think this was any uh, change in their modus operandi. It's only, uh, it was strictly in conformity to their previous action. Right. Uh, it's it's uh, str strictly, a, uh, the Mayor Redding uh, uh, stated on TV before the trial and during the trial that there would be an eruption uh, no matter how the verdict came out. And uh, I was wondering how he got this information because I had notified and admonished the Black Panther Party in particular and the black community in general uh, not to respond in any violent fashion. But I, I've concluded that the reason that he knew there would be a violent eruption because he had notified his police uh, and uh, Chief Gaines to inflict uh, violence on our community. So I'm charging uh, uh, or renewing the charge on Mayor Redding and Chief Gaines as being rebel rousers and uh, anarchists who uh, believe in disturbing the peace and they have no, uh, they have no respect for just order. We would like to see justice, law and order prevail. You'd like the black community on the whole to maintain its cool then while this appeal is being heard, I take it. I've ordered the, the uh, Black Panther Party to evacuate all headquarters. Uh, that's why no one was harmed uh, at the headquarters because I had given the order to evacuate the headquarters throughout the country. Did you do uh, that before the verdict? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I had admonished the uh, Black Panther Party not to respond in any violent fashion, but to use self-defense. Now, self-defense is, uh, is uh, a number of tactics that you can use in self-defense. In this instance, our self-defense was a hasty, with a strategic withdrawal uh, from the headquarters, and therefore defending, uh, thereby defending ourselves. Now, um, is this a total evacuation? I mean, during the daytime, the people there, no, I take it. No, there's no oh, one at the Just today for this, night. because of this incident today, then, I see. Pardon me. Uh, I ordered. I ordered this uh, uh, approximately two, three weeks ago. Oh, I that the, the uh, at least two weeks ago that the uh, headquarters will be evacuated uh, throughout the uh, uh, community, throughout the country. And uh, I also warned the community or admonished them uh, not to uh, respond in any violent fashion uh, because. Uh, the mayor used a strategy of trying to uh, arouse the younger people in the community. The young are always the warriors. Uh, the teenage uh, group, uh, sometimes they respond emotionally, and I think that uh, um, Mayor Redding was attempting to provoke this response. That's but, in the uh, black community you're talking about. Uh, the black trying to arouse the youngsters of the black community, was he, in your uh, And also, uh, as you very well know, that the police have made a vicious attack upon the white community in Berkeley. And uh, But this particular statement that he made was pointed at the black community. And uh, so we, we, we're saying still willing to negotiate. I've uh, asked... Uh, uh, Chief Gaines and the mayor and all other public officials uh, for 
a, uh, I invited them uh, to have conversation or uh, to the conference table so that we could have a peaceful solution to the problem and uh, negotiate and solve the problem in a, a peaceful manner. Uh, we feel that uh, that the black people must control the destiny of their community. They must have exclusive control of the institutions in our community. We also say that the white community uh, or the people in the white community should have control of those institutions. The people have no control at all. There's a small circle of gangsters uh, who are, are the ruling class and they call themselves the establishment and they control the lives of all of us. The people are uh, both black and white are beginning to realize this uh, daily and this is why there's no such thing existing in America now uh, such as a race riot. Uh, all resistances and all rebellions are against the reactionary authorities in our community. So it's no longer a, a race issue. It's no. a never, well, it, it was tending to be in some quarters at one stage, perhaps, was, but... Uh, that, that only showed the propaganda of the establishment. The, prop, the uh, establishment had propagandized all of the people, and uh, in order for it to stay uh, in position that it's in or maintain its status, it had the people fighting against each other. But now the people have pulled the cloak or the, the uh, facade away from the establishment, and now they see the hypocrisy of the establishment, and the people are resisting against the ruling authority in the country, which is uh, a reactionary body. And uh, the only reason that it had race overtones years ago is because uh, uh, the, the establishment was successful in uh, uh, misguiding, lying, and uh, having the people operate on a, a various uh, principle. And that is that uh, the fight is uh, uh, between the color of skins and not the owner of the means of production. Now, since you were indicted and brought to trial, uh, I've seen the growth of the Black Panther Party throughout the United States. Uh, could you give us an idea of, uh, of this development? Uh, I feel that, that uh, it's essential for the vanguard of the people to integrate theory with practice. The people will not follow any leadership that only spouts off uh, abstract theories. Uh, nor will they follow a nihilistic type of uh, leadership that uh, believes in action without uh, theory or without philosophy. Uh, the Black Panther Party was successful in integrating theory and practice, or uh, as uh, the Minister of Information says in Soul on Ice, the integration of the mind and body. The mind as the action tool and the body as the, uh, uh, the mind the mind as the theoretician and the body as the uh, as the activity, and these things have been successfully integrated within our uh, complex whole of our philosophy and of our program, and this is why that uh, that. Uh, that the uh, membership is growing, and more than the membership, we're not too concerned at this point with membership. We're concerned with affecting the minds of the people, and uh, in a in a positive manner. Uh, we're interested in uh, the community internalizing the philosophy of the Black Panther Party, and whether they are Panther or not, as long as they follow the principles, uh, we will uh, get some justice in this country. The, uh, there's some information that the Oakland police are going to uh, temporarily um, dismissed or suspended from the force. And uh, 
the Black Panther Party would like to notify the community, the bo both the black and the white community, that we're at their service, that we will maintain law and order uh, in both the black and white community if uh, this is asked of us. We will maintain a law and order in our community, in the black community, and we would like to, we would like to notify the white community that we're at their service because we're dedicated to peace and tranquility uh, among the people. Had you uh, heard or read that uh, some reporters had been told privately by some policemen that they were prepared to kill you if you were acquitted? Um, well, uh, I'm, uh, I anticipated that anyway. I'm not surprised to hear. This is the first time I've heard it, uh, but I was sure that uh, there would be a plot uh, for my life as, as there has been for the last two years. Uh, they've been unsuccessful in killing me for the last two years simply because the people have protected me. And uh, the people, as I said before, are an invincible force, and I'll, be, I'll feel quite secure in, 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 the, in the community uh, uh, simply because the people, will, uh, t the people take care of the, of the uh, inhabitants of the community. So I'm not afraid of the police after I get out of prison. That uh, I'm afraid of the police now that I'm in jail because uh, I'm in a den of uh, wolves and uh, I have no uh, security whatsoever. I don't view it as security. You don't have a food taster. <laughs> right. Now, as a, a leader of a party that is organized on a national basis, uh, would you like to take this opportunity to express some opinions on some of the recent uh, developments in the national political scene, uh, the uh, selection of Mr. Nixon and Mr. Humphrey? Uh, <coughs> As far as the, uh, the uh, national election of uh, Mr. Uh, Humphrey and uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Nixon, I think there's not really an alternative. Uh, uh, the other day I was speaking with, uh, with uh, a news reporter from one of the underground papers, and, uh, and uh, he had an uh, article that he wanted to write, and he said that, uh, that people have no real alternative. Either they will be uh, humped by uh, Hubert, uh, dicked by Nixon, or, uh, or uh, some other phrase. Anyway, that, uh, th th this is the state of affairs, that uh, there's no real uh, alternative that uh, they're establishment people and they're both uh, only to maintain the status quo of the establishment. The only uh, alternative that the people have is uh, Minister of Information Eldridge Cleaver for president. That would be a real alternative because they would have a revolutionary uh, who wants some uh, drastic changes in the uh, political structure of the country and the economical structure. Uh, this is about the only alternative that uh, we have in the country. But as far as the election that I've read, I've uh, read the papers on it, uh, it, it's not even exciting because it's, it's, uh, it's only the thing that's been happening for 400 years in the country, and uh, it's, not, uh, it's not impressive at all. Yes, well, Mr. Gregory is also on the scene as another alternative. Uh, yes, uh, Mr. Gregory is an honorable man. Uh, he's a comedian, and I think that's his best game. Uh, Eldridge Cleaver is about the only real serious alternative. Um, 
Did you feel any better about, uh, even relatively speaking, and uh, to whatever small degree, about McCarthy uh, relative to uh, Nixon or Humphrey? Um, what, what is the question again? Did you feel it? Would you, would, you have, would you have felt any better at all, even if only relatively so, about Mr. McCarthy? I didn't know exactly where uh, McCarthy was at, and I don't think he did either. Uh, many statements that he made uh, were very good statements as far as in following those principles. Uh, only empirical evidence could show. Uh, the reason I say that I don't know where, I don't think he knew either the fact that he was running on a, in the Democratic Party and he knew that he would have to come to terms with the, uh, his uh, constituents uh, in the Democratic Party and that's a very strong machinery. No one man could really uh, do much to alter that um, as far as, uh, as far as um, as far as uh, dealing with them, that uh, McCarthy uh, could not deal with it. And I think that he, he's intelligent enough to know that, and then uh, I would conclude that then he must be trying to pull something on the people. Uh, as far as the statements that he made and the things that he stood for, that uh, uh, I can't find any criticism of, of those uh, philosophies. But it seems to be uh, somewhat... Uh, 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 paradoxical. I, I didn't understand him, and I don't think he understood himself. Well, now, you're standing uh, for Congress in the 7th Congressional District. Uh, what are your uh, positions, if you'd like to explain them, on some of the main issues? For instance, the Vietnam War seems to be one of the crucial uh, issues in this campaign. Uh, I, I would say that the, the, the uh, that of course the war to end, there should be all troops, uh, even without negotiation, a withdrawal, withdrawal of troops from uh, Vietnam, uh, so that uh, the people can determine their destiny. And uh, as far as uh, on the uh, national scene, that uh, I would like for the people to uh, share in the wealth. I would like for the people to control the means of production by putting, appointing, or electing their representatives to control the industrial complex. Uh, there are 75 million workers in this country. 85% uh, work in 11.5 million privately owned uh, enterprises. And uh, they're wage slaves. Uh, the uh, profits go to the small ruling class. Uh, they ha the, the worker has no control really over uh, of the conditions of work, nor does he have control over the wealth that he's producing by his labor. So I would like for every ethnic group to be represented uh, in a ministry of industry. I would like for that, uh, that every ethnic group be represented on a uh, on the national political level, that I think that one of the, the one of the uh, essential uh, fundamental things wrong with the American Constitution is that it doesn't respect any group, uh, even though a group is controlling the country. The white Anglo-Saxon Protestant group is controlling the wealth of the country, uh, but yet the Constitution doesn't provide any redress of grievances of, of national ethnic groups. So uh, therefore, the the Constitution is lacking. 
uh, as far as uh, freedom and justice for the people because there are, the America, everyone admits, is a nation of nations of many ethnic groups. I would like to have the Indians uh, represented on a national level uh, in spite of uh, their percentage, their small percentage in number. They have a right to redress of grievances. They have a right to determine the destiny of their uh, community. So I would like for every ethnic group, the blacks should have uh, representatives in all, on all national levels, that they should have exclusively, we should have exclusive control of the local institution in the community on a cooperative level economically, and that uh, the wealth would then be distributed to the many ethnic groups throughout the country on a cooperative basis. Um, so I think that each ethnic group should control its local community on a national level. All ethnic groups should be represented in whole offices. And the Constitution should be changed so that groups will have rights. Now this suggests uh, this uh, idea of representatives, representation for different ethnic groups that you'd have a, a sort of reservation of a number of seats, for instance, in the Congress and the state uh, assemblies. Yeah. Uh, reserved for different ethnic groups as you have in countries uh, going from a state of uh, pure colonialism to semi-colonialism to independence. This is what they did in the yeah. constitutions in these countries. Yeah. And you, you, you'd like to see something like this, a certain number of seats reserved for different ethnic groups in Congress and the yeah. state. Uh, not only that, I think that the basic constitution should be changed so that this right will be reflected in the constitution. And I think this is the only way that uh, people will have a right uh, to determine that destiny, this is the only way that cultural exploitation will stop, and this is the only way that economical exploitation will stop. You want to take the proportional representation a step further and have proportional representation cultural-wise, yes. cultural-ethnic. Yes, I, I think that uh, the, uh, the black people uh, in particular have been robbed of the cultural heritage, not only in the sense that uh, it was made impossible for us to perpetuate and develop a new culture based around slavery. Now, the art form and the music and the, uh, the, the art, the theater, the art generally that was uh, developed after uh, slavery, the African with the sl American slave experience, uh, it was denied that we had a culture. And uh, they said we were culturally deprived. And at the same time they said we were culturally deprived, they culturally exploited us by using our music, selling it to the world, not only uh, selling it uh, back to us in our country, but selling it to the world for a profit. And they've, they've, uh, they've uh, <clears throat> devastated our theater. Uh, they've... Uh, uh, when radio came out, uh, we were quickly excluded uh, from the radio uh, 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 companies, and uh, whites would play our music and uh, make the records, and thereby become wealthy by it. Yeah, Amos and Andy. Yeah, right. So, so, so th th this is this is uh, cultural exploitation. It happens locally. It happens internationally on an in international level. That I would demand that America stop exploiting people culturally and economically. Uh, one of the ways to enslave a people is to go into the country, control uh, the means of production, uh, draw out the raw materials, and to in order to keep your status, uh, attempt to. Uh, to uh, divorce the people from their culture, so the people then will praise the exploiter. And uh, this is only a, meth uh, a method of conquering a people. Uh, this would have to come to an end. 
Now, may I ask you about this uh, sort of reserved representation for uh, ethnic groups? Uh, people voting for uh, uh, candidates of, for the black seats in, in Congress, for instance, would they also participate in voting for for the uh, for seats in the, representing the white, or would it be split up along these lines? People on, an, on a national level. Um, <clears throat> Well, well, I'll start from from a local level. As far as the uh, the community, the ethnic groups who occupy uh, the communities, the, uh, this ethnic group should exclusively control their local institutions. And this doesn't mean exclude other people coming into uh, the community to uh, enjoy the public facilities. It will be very similar to a, uh, a person, say a Westerner, going to China. Uh, he goes to China. He's not excluded from the hotels or the restaurants, but the uh, uh, the the country has the ethos of a cult of a Chinese heritage, uh, and it will be very similar to the people in this country going from community to community. Uh, the community will re reflect the cultural heritage of the people. Uh, on a state level, uh, that on issues or or statewide uh, offices or. Or government agencies, then all the people will participate in uh, an election. But it will simply be uh, uh, arranged so that uh, the ethnic groups will be represented there in spite of the number of votes. And uh, I haven't worked this out in detail uh, because we have to lay some foundation first on a local level. And I have worked this out, how this could work. And uh, we will uh, solve. Uh, first things first, and now we're attempting to uh, control our communities. What about international issues? Um, Do you want to comment okay. on any of those? Uh, I mean, apart from Vietnam, which you've talked about, uh, America's involvement militarily abroad, you know, the bases yes, around uh, the world, there are more than 3,000 uh, bases, military bases now. Yes, uh, <clears throat> America should withdraw uh, all of, uh, from all uh, countries, uh, that they should, uh, these countries should kick them out as far as the base. Uh, America should stop sabotaging and attacking Latin America. Uh, we still, America still has tr has troops have troops in uh, in uh, Dominican Republic, as I understand it, and throughout Southeast Asia, and or else they're aiding and they have uh, bases there, and that. Uh, they, they must withdraw because they're only uh, there not for any self-defense. They're there to determine the destiny of other people, especially people of color. Do you have any uh, comments about recent developments in Europe and especially in Prague? Uh, I don't understand uh, the, the, the whole situation of uh, Czechoslovakia and the Soviet Union. I, w I would withhold any comment until I get more information. I'm, I'm not, I haven't received uh, newspapers uh, uh, regularly, and I don't know the full detail. But uh, I, I, would like, I would withhold any opinion until I get more information. How is your health holding up, Mr. Newton? It's fine. Fine. Okay. What are your quarters like, Mr. Newton? Uh, I'm uh, kept in a uh, solitary confinement cell. It's uh, six and a half by four and a half. And uh, it's a solid uh, steel room with a uh, uh, cement floor. Uh, there are no windows uh, whatsoever. There's an opening in, in the steel door about a foot square, uh, a cubby hole that is open. Uh, the room is very hot and stuffy. Most of the time I'm nude because, uh, all of the time, matter of fact, because it's, it's, it's extremely warm in the room. 
and I'm never out for exercise other than going to court or uh, coming down for a uh, news interview or uh, talking to my attorney. Uh, do you have a bed, a bunk? Yes, I have a bunk, a toilet, and a wash basin. Excuse me. Are you, you allowed books to read? Uh, admit some books. For the last ten months, uh, they wouldn't admit any books. They would hold up the books that they would okay for sometimes a month and a half. And uh, my attorney, Mr. Gary, would uh, uh, has had to put much pressure in order to me to, uh, in order for me to get books. Thank you, Mr. Hurdle. Welcome back, and uh, that was a rare classic uh, archived interview uh, with uh, Huey P. Newton on September 10th of 1968 in Oakland, California, in his holding cell uh, after being uh, convicted of second-degree manslaughter uh, in Oakland, California, uh, resulting uh, from the death of uh, a police officer the year before and the wounding of another. And uh, this is the uh, 55th anniversary we're commemorating of the founding of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense in Oakland, California, in October of 1966. We'll take a break, and uh, we'll be back with our concluding segment. Thank you. 
Welcome back, and that was uh, Detroit's own Motown Sound of the Temptations, I Can't Get Next to You from 1969. And uh, right now we want to move into our Africa Live uh, segment, and uh, this is going to feature uh, some of the most pressing and burning issues on the African continent and indeed uh, throughout the international community. Uh, Let's listen in. This is CGTN, China Global Television Network. The Islamic State claims responsibility for another suicide bombing that killed nearly 50 people at an Afghan mosque. China's Shenzhou 13 crew begins its six-month mission aboard the country's first space station. And Sudan's Prime Minister Hamdok presents roadmap out of the country's crisis. Hello and a very warm welcome to you. This is Africa Live on CGTN. I'm Mahe Mutua in Nairobi. Also coming up... In business, Nigeria's external debt stock to surge to record high of $45 billion. And in sports, Egypt champions Zamalek wary of Kenya's Tusker FC threat ahead of their CAF Champions League clash in Nairobi. Welcome to Africa Live. We begin the top of the hour in the United Kingdom where tributes are pouring in for Sir David Amos. The longtime British lawmaker was fatally stabbed on Friday during a public event in Essex. Andrew Wilson has more. The attack was brutal and swift. Sir David Amos, a 69-year-old politician of nearly four decades' experience, was meeting his local constituents in a Methodist church hall, one of many locations he used to meet the people he represented. Police say a man in his 20s approached Sir David and stabbed him repeatedly. He's said to have died at the scene where a 25-year-old man was arrested. The news quickly spread shock to his constituents, fellow MPs and the wider public. The Prime Minister cut short a meeting in the West Country to return to London. His wife, Carrie Johnson, describes Sir David, who was married with five children, as a kind and good man, so completely unjust, she said. Tributes appeared from his colleagues in the Conservative Party, from Michael Gove, who talked of his kindness, from Education Secretary Nadim Sahawi, and Deputy Prime Minister Dominic Raab, who described his death as heartbreaking. Sir David Amos was a religious man. He was an old-school, long-standing member of Parliament with a reputation for integrity, kindness and for working hard on his constituents' behalf. Attacks on MPs in their home constituencies are rare. But in 2016, a Labour MP, Joe Cox, was brutally murdered in her constituency. In 2010, fellow Labour MP Stephen Timms was attacked and a Liberal Democrat politician, Andrew Pennington, was murdered in 2000. This attack will raise once more the issue of MPs' safety. It's a cornerstone of British politics that parliamentarians are accessible to the public and is valued highly across the political spectrum. But there will be some that say that idea, no matter how valued, might have had its day. Andrew Wilson, CGTN. Well, let's get more details on that story now. CGTN's Andrew Wilson, who we just heard from there, 
joins us live now with the latest. Andrew, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has visited the church where the lawmaker was stabbed to death in Leon C. What has he said? Uh, well, it was quite a moving visit this morning, uh, Mahaya, as um, the Prime Minister, alongside the leader of the opposition, Sir Keir Starmer, two people who do not normally get on particularly well, walking side by side to lay wreaths at the spot where Sir David was killed. Uh, the Prime Minister also uh, made a statement earlier on in which he described uh, how shocked and saddened everybody was. He said that Sir David was one of the kindest, nicest, most gentle people in politics, uh, but he also had an outstanding record of passing laws on behalf of the most valuable. So Boris went on to say, David was a man who believed passionately in this country and its future, and we've lost today a fine public servant, a much-loved friend and colleague, and our thoughts are very much with his wife and his children and family. So David leaves behind a wife and five children uh, from, from his marriage. Now, uh, he was an MP for a long time in this particular constituency east of London. The best part of 37 years he was there, so he was a well-known figure in the community. He was not an MP who had ministerial ambitions. He preferred to work on behalf of and in the location of the people that he represented. So his surgeries, as they're called, were commonplace. Uh, they happened a lot. They were happened a lot of, in different locations. And he was someone who had a lot of relationships with the local communities. So they are also extremely shocked. Essex police have handed over lead of the investigation to the counter-terrorism police, and they have now declared this a terrorism incident. The 25-year-old man who was arrested as I mentioned in my report there, is the only person they say they're seeking a connection with this inquiry. They say he's a British national of Somali heritage, and that's as much as we know. They are not seeking anyone else in connection with the incident. All right, Andrew Wilson, thank you very much for your insights there. CGTN's Andrew Wilson joining us live from London. Moving on, the Islamic State has claimed responsibility for a suicide bombing at a Shiite mosque in the southern Afghan city of Kandahar. The attack happened during Friday prayers when the mosque was packed with worshippers. A Taliban official says at least 47 people have died. It is the second week in a row that a suicide bomber has attacked worshippers at Friday prayers. Shiite clerics are calling for more security for their holy sites. Zmari Elai Abbasin reports from the capital, Kabul. After a week from northeastern Kunduz province, which killed 200 people or injured, and at the same time, southern Kandahar province was targeted again and on a mosque of Shiite Muslims where there were more than uh, 150 worshippers inside the mosque. According to the witness, there were at least three suicide bombers. The first one entered to the mosque and started shooting over the worshippers inside and killed and injured several people and blew himself inside the mosque. And the second one right in the corridor of the mosque and the third uh, suicide attacker also exploded as uh, explosive at the main gate. There were also shootings in the area which also killed or injured several people. When dozens are killed or injured on Friday prayers uh, afternoon in Kandahar, much more concerns are emerging about the security in the country and the threats by the ISKP in the country. After Kunduz uh, uh, attack, this is the second one, just one week after the similar attack. So there are much more concern about the future and the activities of the ISKP or Daesh in the country. The Taliban police chief in Kandahar say the people asked weapons to protect and safeguard the mosque and they distributed the weapons. 
But according to him, they were not able. That's why they will appoint their own units in similar areas. Zmariale Abbasin, CGTN Kabul. And Zmariale Abbasin now joins us live from Kabul to bring us the latest on that attack. Zmariale, what is the latest in the aftermath of that suicide attack on the Shiite mosque in Afghanistan? Zmarielai, we're just uh, trying to find out what is the latest on the ground in the aftermath of that attack. Well, we don't seem to have Zmarielai. We do apologize for that. Moving on now, Saturday saw successful liftoff, docking and entering of the module for China's Shenzhou-13 mission. Three astronauts have entered China's space station. CGTN Sun Ye has more. The Shenzhou 13 crew has arrived and settled in their home in space, officially starting a six-month and the longest day ever planned for Chinese taikonauts. Barely seven hours since the crew's launch from Jiuquan Satellite Center in northwestern China's Gansu. After midnight Saturday, they already set one record, as Shenzhou 13 docked with the Tianhe core module by executing a radio rendezvous for the first time. Rendezvous and docking from a radial direction is risky. That's why particularly had Shenzhou 12 tested out the process before it left. Shenzhou 13's docking is great in every way, completely in alignment with our design. And the mission is now gearing up for more challenges with the longer stay in space. The mission will have three people for a 180-day stay. It's challenging for taikonauts and spacecrafts, including the manned spaceship. The long period of time gives uncertainties. For one, the longer you stay out, the more external influences and impacts you will meet. There are also internal effects from time. While we have fully tested out on the ground, you can also say you have really done this when you complete it in space. I think of it as a long battle. It will be an intense six months for the Taikonauts too. Their itinerary includes spacewalks, verification of key technology, installation of new equipment, scientific experiments, and some remote teaching, all from some 400 kilometers above Earth. Sun Ye, CGTN, Beijing. Well, let's turn to the United States now, where former Trump advisor Steve Bannon could face criminal contempt charges. A congressional committee investigating the January 6th Capitol riots says it will move forward with charges if Bannon defies a subpoena and refuses to testify. Nathan King reports from Washington, D.C. So, uh, nine months after the insurrection, the coup attempt, if you want to call it that, uh, in the Capitol on January the 6th, the select committee that's investigating uh, this is getting very, very serious indeed. As you know, subpoenas were issued to key members of the Trump administration and also outside advisors, Steve Bannon being the most interesting. As you know, he left the White House in around uh, 2017, uh, but he's claiming executive privilege uh, uh, after Donald Trump, the former president, uh, basically urged all defendants to do so. The problem is, is that executive privilege usually means uh, official duties within the White House. He was out of the White House, he was holding radio shows and podcasts, encouraging people to come up and uh, uh, make a big demonstration uh, uh, and uh, use 
some language which they really want to get to the bottom of about whether this was a connection between uh, Republicans who supported Donald Trump and the masses that we saw swarm uh, the Capitol. Now, essentially what's going to happen is that the select committee in the House here, which is made up mainly Democrats but also uh, Republicans, is going to vote for a criminal contempt for him not complying and not appearing in front of Congress. Others that subpoenaed uh, that have basically were in the administration. I'm talking about Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, Cash Patel, who's a defense official, Dan Scavino, who's a key member of the staff and in charge of a lot of his social media, uh, may have more of a case because they were actually in the administration. But essentially, what's quite interesting about the whole White House approach here is they're willing to waive this whole idea of executive privilege, uh, the idea that the president could keep secret information in his uh, task as president because they said this is not... Uh, under the control of the presidency. Meanwhile, of course, the wheels of justice grind on. Over 500 people arrested, a lot of plea bargains going on, uh, uh, but a lot of jail time for people who actually carried out uh, these attacks uh, at the suggestion, uh, if not the direction, of President Trump and his staff. Nathan King, CGTN, just outside the Capitol. Well, let's take you back to our earlier story where we reported the Islamic State has claimed responsibility for a suicide bombing at a Shiite mosque in the southern Afghan city of Kandahar. The attack happened during Friday prayers when the mosque was packed with worshippers. A Taliban official says at least 47 people have died in that attack. Well, let's get more on that story now. CGTN's Zmarialai Abbasin is standing by for us in Kabul with the latest. Zmarialai, what can you tell us is the latest in the aftermath of that attack? Hello, Mahe. Well, that was a deadly attack that uh, took place on Friday prayers afternoon when two suicide bombers of the ISKP affiliates entered the mosque. The first one exploded himself right in front of the main gate of the mosque and the second one entered and started firing over the worshippers and killed uh, 47 injured, at least 70 more, and the Taliban and also health authorities in Kandahar confirmed. The ISKP published a statement claiming the responsibility for that attack and uh, calling uh, their fighters with surnames of Khurasani and Baluch this time. According to the, them, they were calling the mosque a temple and they targeted and that there is a claim that they have been killed dozens of the people and uh, that's another catastrophe after the attack on northeastern Kunduz province which uh, killed dozens and also injured around 100 more. This is now emerging concerns among the people in Afghanistan and also criticizing the Taliban government in the country because it's just the second time in a week that uh, the ISKP targeting the Shiite Muslims in the country right inside of the mosque. But the Taliban uh, police chief in Kandahar said that the people asked them to uh, distribute them the weapon and they did so uh, but it failed and the attackers were able to enter the mosque according to him that they will be protecting and safeguarding the mosque and other places uh, uh, by their own special units in the future and the Taliban seems to be taking action actions in this regard but it's now a challenging uh, part of the time that the Taliban are uh, faced by the ISKP in the country and of course, it would be threatening the country. All right, Zmarialai, thank you very much. EGTN's Zmarialai Abbasin in Kabul.
You're watching Africa Live on CGTN. It's time for us to take a short break. Here's what's coming up. Sudan's Prime Minister Hamdok presents roadmap out of the country's crisis. And over 50 people arrested for kidnapping three parliamentarians in South Africa. Each day, there are millions of stories. Each one can open new perspectives, new possibilities. Wherever you look, we are there. To see, discover, explore. We put the pieces together to find what really matters to you. All around the world. All around the clock. Our reporters are at home across the globe. From our headquarters in Beijing and production centers in Washington, Nairobi, and London. China Global Television Network. Stories from across the globe. Reaching people across the globe. CGTN. See the difference. Welcome back. Let's turn to Sudan now, where the Prime Minister, Abdallah Hamdok, has unveiled a roadmap to end what he described as the country's worst and most dangerous political crisis in its two-year transition. Sudan's military and civilian power-sharing partners have been locked in a war of words since a coup attempt in late September. Military leaders have been demanding the reform of the cabinet and ruling coalition. Civilian politicians, on the other hand, are accusing the military of aiming for a power grab. Hamdok describes the current conflict as between those who believe in a transition towards democracy and civilian leadership and those who do not. This problem leads to deep divisions between the military and civilians and between civilians and the military. That is why I want to repeat that the struggle is not between civilians and the military, but between the transitional democratic civilian camp and the coup overthrowing the revolution. The coup attempt opened the door for discord and for all the hidden disputes and accusations from all sides, and in this way, we are throwing the future of our country, of our people, and revolution to the wind. Well, CGTN's Naba Mohideen joins us via Skype in Khartoum to bring us the latest. Naba, what is the reaction so far in Khartoum to the Prime Minister's speech? Uh, Naba, I uh, hope you can hear us. Uh, we, I'll begin by asking you what has been the reaction in Khartoum to the Prime Minister's speech there? Well, unfortunately, we do not have Naba Mohideen. We will try to get her later on to South Africa now, where more than 50 people have been arrested for kidnapping after two South African cabinet ministers and a deputy minister were taken hostage. The three leaders were, after many hours, rescued by police. Security forces had to move in to free the government officials who were held against their will in a Pretoria hotel during a meeting that turned sour. CGTN's Yolisa Njamela has more. It was a drama-filled night as three government ministers were held hostage by military veterans demanding compensation for the role they played in the fight against apartheid. The Defense Minister Tandimo Dise had Deputy Tabang Makweta 
and minister in the presidency, Monji Gungubele, were kept in this hotel in the capital, Pretoria. Our intentions was to start a meeting and first listen to them what exactly they wanted the meeting to do because we were very careful about assuming uh, we could not move beyond that point. We proposed the agenda, we could not move beyond that point because they demanded that uh, the president, the table president should be there. And our attitude, Mawande, is that the president is the head of the state together with the deputy president. We think it is not fair to expect the president to be everywhere, wherever he is wanted. When the talks broke down, the military veterans refused to let the three leaders leave the venue. As, as we were proceeding to the door, we realized that the doors were being locked. And uh, we realized that, yeah, it's no longer as exciting as it started. So I will be unfair to say, hey, Peters, they know. We were there against our will, but it was not a violent, what to call, uh, uh, sort of stay. When attempts to negotiate with the hostage takers failed, special forces stormed the room and took the two cabinet ministers and the deputy minister to safety. This is not the first incident that points to state security failure here in South Africa. In July, over 300 people died after riots broke out. The riots were sparked by the jailing of former president Jacob Zuma. Questions are now being asked about whether these incidents are indicative of a failed state. I don't think so. I think South Africa um, is being put to a test. I think thus far we must be proud that even though yesterday, yes, um, police came in to break up the hostage situation, so far we have been able to hold it very, very tightly. For the state not to go overboard in the use of, of, of force, for the state to listen more than it uses force, and I think that is a plus for the democracy of South Africa. The 56 people remain in custody. The ministers have made it clear that while they will continue to engage with those who held them hostage, they will not drop the charges against them. The culprits are expected to appear in court next week. Ulysses Javela for CGTN in Pretoria, South Africa. World Health Organization says it's deploying experts on preventing sexual exploitation in 10 high-risk countries. The plan is being finalized and outlines immediate or short-term actions through March 2022 to complete investigations and launch a series of internal reviews and audits. The WHO says this will ensure a wholesome reform of WHO structures and culture. The move comes after a major scandal occurred in the Democratic Republic of Congo where its staff and other aid workers abused women. Some 83 aid workers, a quarter of them employed by the WHO, were reportedly involved in sexual exploitation and abuse during the country's massive Ebola epidemic from 2018 to 2020, an independent commission said last month. Well, CGTN's Chris Ochamringa joins us live now from DR Congo's capital, Kinshasa. Chris, how has in the past the WHO dealt with victims of sexual abuse in the DRC?
Well, what uh, has happened is the DRC, I mean, uh, the WHO has, uh, uh, the, the, the independent panel that, you know, co conducted this uh, uh, re research about the sexual abuse sent, uh, recommended that a team of experts from the WHO be sent to Beni in the eastern part of the DRC where this sexual abuse cases happened to identify the 21 women who are victims of this sexual abuse and uh, to assess the needs that they have. This assessment is going to be done on a case-by-case -case basis and it's upon uh, that assessment that they will determine the kind of help that they will offer to these women. It will range from psychosocial support to financial support. At the moment, WHO says they do not want to announce, you know, offering financial assistance to the people because they fear that many people might come up with fake claims. And so uh, the WHO has also said that they will open criminal proceedings against all the perpetrators who carried out these uh, horrific acts in eastern DRC during the Ebola outbreak so that the people, the victims, can get some, some justice from that. Maria? And Chris, uh, we're hearing that the WHO has said it will deploy experts on preventing sexual exploitation. Just how important is this then uh, in preventing sexual abuse and how has the government reacted to this? Well, first of all, Maria, they have already sent uh, an, as an expert on the prevention of sexual exploitation and abuse. A lady from Haiti is already in Beni. She has been training the people who are going to help the DRC to try and contain the, the new cases of Ebola. There are two confirmed cases so far. And uh, this is something that has brought some uh, relief to the local people. It's, it's brought some sense of, you know, uh, understanding that the WHO is taking this matter very seriously and is, intent in, 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 is keen to ensure that it doesn't happen again. The people in that area have expressed their, their, their concern that, the, you know, the, the WHO is taking steps to stop this kind of act from happening. Well, the DRC government uh, expressed many officials, especially the president, uh, condemned the sexual uh, abuse in eastern DRC, and very many Congolese were also outraged that this uh, acts were committed by people, you know, from reputable organizations like the WHO and other UN agencies. Uh, you know, the DRC has had very many cases of sexual abuse, particularly in the east of the country. Some NGOs have described that part as the sex, I mean, the, the rape capital of the world because very many rebel groups operating there use sex as a weapon of war. And so people were very, very disturbed that this happened, but they have been demanding, most of the Congolese have been demanding compensation for all the victims. They're saying it's good that the WHO has acknowledged this and that they are punishing the people, but they want uh, the people to be compensated financially so that they can rebuild their lives. This is something that, ha that hasn't happened yet, but the WHO says that they're in the process of ensuring that they bring some relief to the victims of this sexual abuse in the DRC. Machia? Chris, obviously a rather distressing report there. Uh, CGTN's Chris Ochamringa bringing us the latest from Kinshasa. Moving on, in the Central African Republic, President Faustin Archange Touadera has declared a unilateral cessation of fighting against armed groups. In a televised, televised address on Friday, uh, President Touadera said the ceasefire will help to protect civilians from violence and allow them to access humanitarian aid. The leader of the CAR also hopes the ceasefire will lead to peaceful dialogue. The CAR has seen recurrent rounds of rebel violence since former President François Bozizé was ousted in 2013. Armed groups control large swathes of territory and over 700,000 people have been displaced.
The World Food Programme has adjusted its approach to food assistance in Uganda by increasing rations to the most vulnerable refugee com communities. In the past, ration cuts have been equal across the board, disproportionately affecting the most vulnerable refugees. Uganda has 1.4 million refugees, mostly from South Sudan and the DR Congo. Isabel Nakiria now reports. The WFP says refugee settlements with the highest levels of need will now be able to get the support they need to survive. Over the past two years, declining funding has forced the WFP to cut rations. Refugees hit hardest are those living in the West Nile region, which includes those in Bidibidi, Izepi, Palorenya and Rhino settlements. They will now receive food rations of 70% up from 60% that all other refugees were getting since February 2021. About 530 refugees will benefit from this increment. The WFP says settlements in the West Nile region are congested and many refugees there are unable to meet their daily needs. What we found was the settlements in the north, in West Nile in particular, are the most vulnerable. They have the most challenges meeting the gaps between their own production, their own small income, and their daily requirements. So there, what we've done is we've actually increased the rations. The settlements in the southwest of the country have access to more land for cultivation and are more food secure. The food agency says their rations have been reduced to 40%. But even with the adjustments made, the WAC warns it still has a shortfall of $57 million to enable it to meet the assistance that refugees need over the next six months. The resourcing requirements are high, the uh, needs of the refugees are high, and the resourcing environment in Uganda and globally uh, uh, is challenging given the increased needs across the world and then the, the economic challenges uh, 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 faced because of COVID-19. WFP says it will be assessing the adjustments in the next few months and identifying the challenges faced by the very vulnerable so that some more protective support is added to the package. Isabel Nakiria, CGTN Kampala, Uganda. UNESCO's chair in African Food Systems, Professor Julian May, has expressed concern about Western seed companies profiting from monocultured, genetically modified crops in Africa. May says such plants have seriously affected the ecological balance in that area. At the same time, some Western companies are profiting from dumping large amounts of cheap junk food in Africa. This has worsened the situation in Africa's food system, which has been affected by poverty, conflict and climate change. May has praised China for constantly. Welcome back. And uh, that was a series of reports uh, from CGTN, uh, Africa Live uh, program. Uh, the uh, reports included uh, developments in the United States, uh, the United Kingdom, the political crisis in the Republic of Sudan, uh, the uh, kidnapping of uh, three uh, cabinet ministers in the Republic of South Africa and Belize, uh, the investigation into the uh, World Health Organization and its abuse in the Democratic Republic of Congo, the uh, unilateral ceasefire declared uh, by the 
government of the Central African Republic and uh, the World Food Program uh, activities uh, related uh, to refugees in uh, the East African state of Uganda. And that's going to conclude our program uh, for today. And you can read uh, about all of these stories uh, over the Pan-African Newswire at uh, panafricannews.blogspot.com. And uh, if you'd like to have access uh, to this program, uh, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network, and uh, that's at uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. Uh, the programs can be shared with other potential listeners uh, on all uh, social media uh, platforms. And, of course, uh, we will uh, continue uh, with uh, the Pan-African Journal worldwide uh, radio broadcast. Uh, we're going to uh, conclude uh, today's uh, program uh, with the music of Abby Lincoln from her 1961 album entitled Straight ahead. This is Abayomi Azikaway signing off and have a beautiful week.
Miss Lucy, put that music book away. What's the use to keep on trying if you practice till you're gray? You can't start no notes of flying like the ones that rant and ring from the kitchen to the big wood when Melinda sings. Easy enough for folks. Listen with me when Melinda sings. Oh, it's sweeter than the music of an educated band. And it's dearer than the battle songs of triumph in the land. It seems holier than evening when those silent church bells ring as I sit and calmly listen. When Melinda sings 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.